lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but naturalism wins in a half. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. The Golden Eagle first spread its wings in 2019 when Colding, ridden by Glenn Boss, bounced off his Epsom win four weeks earlier to score brilliantly in the new $7.5 million four-year-old race at Rosehill Gardens. One year later, two classy mares fought out the Golden Eagle finish on a heavy track. Colette gave young jockey Kobe Jennings a career highlight in narrowly winning the big race from Ice Bath. Colette retired recently as Godolphin's highest ever money earner. Last year, the Victorian I'm Thunderstruck produced a big finish to nail the ill-fated Count de Rupee in the last few strides. Hugh Bowman rode the son of shocking for Price and Kent. This year's edition is worth $10 million which means many worthy charities will benefit. 10% of prize money won by each runner will be donated to the charity selected by that horse's owner or owners. The Golden Eagle will be supported by the $3 million Nature Strip Stakes, the $750,000 Rose Hill Gold Cup, and the Four Pillars, the half million dollar race, which gives Kosciuszko ticket purchasers a second chance to share in generous prize money. The Spring Carnival Spotlight will shift to Rose Hill Gardens on Saturday, October the 29th for the fourth running of the new four-year-old race which follows on the heels of the Everest. The Spring Carnival rolls on. Brad Widdup could have started his own training career much earlier than he did, but chose to work for other trainers until he felt he was thoroughly trained in every aspect of the business. When he finally decided to go solo in 2017, he'd accumulated 24 years of experience under accomplished horsemen like Rod Craig, Brian Smith, Bill Mitchell, Graham Rogerson, Kevin Moses, and finally Peter Snowden in the latter years of Ingham's Crown Lodge operation at Warwick Farm. Brad had no sooner settled into his new job when Bob Ingham made the bombshell announcement that the entire Crown operation had been sold to Sheikh Mohammed for the mind-boggling sum of half a billion dollars. Brad was still working for Crown when owner Damien Flower offered him the use of stables at Hawkesbury and the opportunity to train a number of horses under his Platinum Park banner. Part of the deal was that Brad was free to train for outside owners. It wasn't long before he had the operation humming and the winners were coming at regular intervals, but a massive setback was looming. In May of 2019, his principal client was stood down from all racing participation by Racing New South Wales and a number of horses left his stable. Brad's recovery from that upheaval has been one of racing's greatest ever success stories. Not only has he built Widup Racing into a successful and respected commercial operation, but late last year, he was able to finalise the purchase of his well-appointed Hawkesbury training establishment. 
Let's have a yarn with him. Brad Widdup, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks, Johnny. Good to have you, mate. Now, you finished 10th on the New South Wales trainers list last season with 63 winners and 108 placings from only 371 starters. Mate, that's a pretty good strike rate. Yeah, look, we um, we put a lot of time and effort into placing the horses as best we can. I, look, I, I don't try to protect strike rates or anything like that. It's more just trying to give the horses the best opportunity and the owners a chance of collecting the prize money. So, you know, we do we do work hard at placing them and travelling to where we need to go. Mm. Well, last season was your best ever and you're away to a flyer in the new season. How many have you got in work? Uh, 53 we hold here, Johnny. Is that capacity? Yes, yep. Mm. You looked at moving away from Hawkesbury, didn't you? But when that place came up for sale, you didn't want to miss it. Must have been a good feeling when you signed on the dotted line. Yeah, look, we... uh it wasn't that we wanted to move away. It was just, you know, our options were starting to get a bit scary. So, mm-hmm. um, look, I always wanted to stay. I had, I, you know, we've had great success here and um, my staff, are, uh, obviously, we've built up a um, great lot of staff and that's, you know, probably the, one of the most important things is besides uh, the owners and the horses is, is the people you got behind you in the stable. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a big thing too. I did, you know, I... In the day, uh, I was desperate to stay in, keep this a base, and um, yeah, fortunately, we've been able to um, make it happen. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yep. yep. Well, that strike rate last season caught the attention of new owners, and it stimulated the involvement of old owners. So much so that you found yourself this year with the biggest batch of yearlings you've ever had at the one time. They're now two-year-olds, of course. How many? Uh, I think we got about roughly 34 on the book. So, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise because it, uh, you know, sort of December when you're getting ready for the Magic Millions, uh, the phone the phone wasn't, you know, beating down. And, um, yeah, a few loyal clients were, um, you know, we're, we're always going to buy one or two at Magic Millions. And um, I think BK Racing ended up buying three and we bought a couple of fillies just for, you know, the, like the clients that I said that come on board and mm. um, ended up a, a bit of a surprise, really, that I come away with six out of the sale. Yeah. So it's, you know, fantastic. Oh, my word. Well, you're playing the waiting game with those young ones because none of them appeared at the recent two-year-old trials. Will we see any of them before this year is out? Yeah, for sure. I've got a, um, a hellbent filly here. We're just waiting for her to get... Um, get named and, um, you know, she, she'll probably be one of the first ones I get to the trials and we're starting to get like a stream of them through now. So, um, yeah. yeah, look, I think from now on in, I you know, definitely want to start pushing out a few two-year-olds if I can. Mm. Um, the last couple of years I've, I've sort of been a bit quiet in that um, side of it, but I, I just haven't had the numbers and, and look, you you got to have the numbers and, and wait till the right ones are ready to go before you can um, – you don't want to be sending young horses that aren't ready. So, mm. you know, we have been patient. But um, uh, look at this uh, – like I said, we're, we're not far off starting to get a few of the trials. Mm. Let me ask you about two or three of those young ones, Brad. You've got a spirit of boom filly 
out of Guy Walter's lovely mare, Streamer, who won four Group 1s. Yeah, well, she's, uh, she's actually due back in the pre-training shortly. Um, lovely filly, great attitude, and um, look, she, she's probably not an early comer as you'd expect, but uh, we have had her through the stables, and um, as I said, she did everything right, and, um, you know, she'll probably come in shortly after Christmas and we'll give her a preparation and mm. see what happens. You got a filly by I Am Invincible out of Heavens Above who won a Group 1 Coolmore Classic. What do you think of her? Yeah, lovely. Yeah, uh, classy filly, well-bred, and um, she's due in. She's due back into the stables shortly, um, probably next week, and she's a filly that will um, – look, we'll – We'll probably try and push out to a trial next time through, but same thing, Heavens Above wasn't really a two-year-old and mm. um, I'm Invincible himself probably wasn't either. So, you know, I think they're, they're a breed that need a little bit of uh, patience, but uh, mm. look, she wouldn't surprise me if she got up running, you know, at some stage. Mm. you got a Lonro filly out of Gallant Tess, who was a very, very nice race mare. She won about 800000 She was by Galileo, Brad. Yes, and this filly, um, you know, she's – look, if she would have went through the sale ring, I'd say she would have been very popular. So I'm lucky that uh, mm. John Codina has um, left her in my care. And, look, he's, he's John's been a terrific supporter. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, she may be the one that sort of, you know, gives him a nice horse again. So, mm. uh, you know, we won't rush her. But, um, look, she's in, the, in at the moment. She's doing a bit of work. And, um, you know, we'll just see what happens. But – Look, she's, um, she's a quality filly. Mm. you got a half-sister to Golden Slipper winner Moss Fun. What's she by? Uh, Piero. She's a Piero filly. She's mm. uh, she's back here now. She's owned by Fairview Park, um, the Duckworths and a few of their connections. And, you know, yet again, no, terrific people. And, you know, sort of since I've um, been out here, uh, you know, I've, I've had a good connection with them, either spelling horses there or buying horses off them. And um, look, they get, they've given me a uh, – she's a she's a brute of a filly, really. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, look, sometimes these big, strong things don't get going early. But, um, look, if she does, she's definitely got the, you know, everything behind her to, to go mm-hmm. if she does. Yeah, ticks every box. The queen of the Widdup stable is the remarkable ice bath who's been such a huge part of your journey, Brad. Now, we're taping this interview on the eve of her second shot at the invitation at Randwick, a race she won last year. Now, mate, it's almost obscene that this mare hasn't won a Group 1. She's been placed in five of them, for crying out loud, and that includes two Doncasters. She deserves one, and so do you. Yeah, well, look, um, as you know, it's it, uh, you know you you don't. It's probably not the word deserve in this game. You know, it's it's not there. You you just got to bide your time and have them right on the day. Just unfortunately, we've fallen short a few times. But mm. um, oh god, I wouldn't swap it for the world. I, I I find it hard. I can't find words to sort of no um, what she's done for us and. Um, you know, she's uh, looking still not over. She's in terrific order and, you know, we'll definitely be racing on to the breeding season next year and, um, you know, she's still got some opportunities to get the right result for sure. One of her finest moments came in the spring of 2020 when she failed by a narrow margin 
to win the first Golden Eagle, which was then worth $7.5 Colette grabbed her on the line. It's probably the only time in your life, Brad, you've copped defeat graciously. Hey, the second prize money was pretty handy, $1.5 million. Yeah, let's try to, you know, then the race is just getting stronger and stronger. Like, um, you know, uh, I just failed sort of last Saturday getting one in the race. Um, just We ran fourth in the Silver Eagle. We need to run third to get in. And, mm. uh, geez, I, I, it, I'm, I'm not in the race, but it's going to, it looks an exciting race. Like, I don't know that the Everest is getting a lot of fanfare, but, um, geez, the Golden Eagle, it's, it's, it's going to be a, you know, Big it's thing. probably worth it's worth Group One status as well. I think because it's uh, mm. it's becoming a fantastic race. Well, on that Golden Eagle Day we're talking about, you won a race earlier in the day with Switched, so you went within about a head or a half a neck of pulling off a massive double on a massive day. Yeah, look, we we actually had a yeah terrific um, sort of carnival there last year, and um, yeah, look, it was. Fantastic for Switch to win. Well, I bought her off Fairview Stud, as we spoke a bit earlier. And, um, yeah, she was a great filly for us. And um, she's, gone, she's gone to stud this year. But, uh, yeah, look, it was, a, it was a great day. And even though we did run second, it was still, um, you know, it was a, a magnificent result. Mm. It's well documented that butter wouldn't melt in Ice Bath's mouth at home. And during track work, she's pretty good in the float going to the races. She's pretty good in the tie-up stalls. The trouble starts when it's time to saddle her up. Now, you told me the story one day. You said she becomes a monster. It takes four of you to get the saddle on her. Is she improving or still as bad? Well, we... We don't get we don't give her a chance <laughs> to get bad. We we sort of keep it routine. We take it to the swab and swab stalls and do it in there. There's a bit more room and um, look, she's she's getting better. But um, like I said, we we sort of try to go for the same routine and um, just keep her happy and, and yeah. it's um, definitely. But oh, we've had a couple of hairy times um, mm. over the years. But she's definitely yeah. Look, the last probably the last twelve months she's. Mm. Um, lot safer for sure. Brad, what do you think it is? Do you think it's pure adrenaline? She knows what's happening and she just wants to get out there. She doesn't want to be going through this saddling up nonsense. Yeah, well, it's, it's quite funny because once you get the saddle on her, and she's not a filly that sweats up or anything like that either, like she never gets, um, you know, she never gets herself that worked up. But oh, I don't know, just um, one day early in the career at Kembla Grange, she sort of exploded. When we did do it, and um, yeah. yeah, look, it's it's been a habit for a long time, and but um, look, we we just try and manage it the best way we can, and that's you know we seem to get her in a bit more room, and she seems to be fine. Yeah, hey Brad, it's funny the things you'll cop <laughs> when oh. when they've got some talent. For sure, I, um, another good also was with years ago in a gaze, he was a, a lamb of a cult, you know, anyway, anywhere for away from the track. But the minute he got in race day, he, he turned into a different beast. And mm. uh, he kicked me one day on a pair of pair of the old beige pants, you know, the old beige suit that mm. was popular back in the day. And, mm. uh, yes, he kicked me up near the groin area and I had to wear that all day. And, <laughs> uh, but, um, 
Yeah, look, um, it definitely yeah makes it easy when they when they're as good as what they are. Yeah, we'll talk about intergage later. That happened while you were working for Rod Craig. Now let's go back to your early days at Albury, where you grew up. Your dad Pat, who's still training, was your first and possibly your best teacher. You tell me he was a great all-rounder horseman, Brad. There was nothing he couldn't do with a horse. Yeah, that's right. He, um, you know, he, he, he's you know got a real love for the animal. Or um, he's one of those guys that you know can go out and get him out in the paddock and break him in and get him going pretty quickly. So um, you know, we yeah we learn a lot that way for sure. And um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I learned back as a kid, you still try to um pass on now just you know just safety things and how to do things properly and it's uh, nothing's really ever changed from back in those days how, mm. how i was taught so mm. um yeah look you know and obviously look after the animal properly and do all those things um always come first in, in our household you know yeah. you came to sydney at age 20 with plenty of energy and a head full of dreams and you were lucky to get a job first up with a great bloke, a gentleman of the turf in Rod Craig at Warwick Farm. Yeah, look, um, you know, as you, you couldn't have summed it up any better, Rod's a, you know, fantastic bloke, and um, we had a, we had a great time there, and um, you know, it was uh, it was really, um, you know, it was it was a great thrill to see Rod get a horse like that. It was very deserving, and. Mm. Um, you know, he, he did a fantastic, fantastic job with him. You know, he's been a great horse. You know, yeah, he won eight Group Ones, Brad. <laughs> Incredible, isn't Astonishing. it? Astonishing, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and look, in, he, he probably should have had double that if you go for his placings as well. Yeah, you know, um, we talk about Ice Path being deserving. Well, God, he was mm. probably deserving a lot more. So, um, mm. you know, there's, look, there's always a story to be told. With all these good horses, what what could have been, I suppose, but um, oh, you, you know, he was a fantastic horse. Mm. Well, you had two stints with Rod, but in between, you spent some time with Brian Smith, an expatriate New Zealander. I think you were there about four years. He's a very astute horseman, and at the time you were with Brian, he had that beautiful mare, Circles of Gold. You strapped her, didn't you, the day she won the Oaks at Randwick? Yeah, I did, and um, you know she was tough as nails. That mare, um, like I remember, the two-year-old BJ said to me, "I'll win the Oaks with this filly." And at the time, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't a headline filly, and uh, probably struggling a little bit, really. And uh, even early three-year-old uh, season, she was sort of not quite there. But um, oh, geez, what he did with her mm. um, to get to the Oaks and all that was. Uh, yeah, it was a real learning curve for me, and um, you know, he, he like uh, as far as um, you know, talk, you talk about horse trainers. Well, hey, like he's a, he's a very smart horse trainer, Brian Smith, and mm. um, yeah, I, I learned a hell of a lot just you know, more the conditioning side, and and yeah, it, like the things like chiropractic and mm. just having them right everywhere, not just um, not just having them fit, just you, you know, having them. Mentally and physically fit was such a big part of it. So I think yeah. he'd say, well, tra- travelled BJ and seen a lot of um, things overseas, a young fella, and mm. um, obviously Bel Marino, he's seen a lot again there. So, mm. you know, um, 
you know, and he soaked that all up and, you know, what we got to see there. And, you know, Laurie Laxon would stay with us and, you know, all the Kiwi trainers and mm. you sort of listen to those guys as well. So it was a big learning curve and, um, yeah, something I'll never forget. Mm. Well, Circus of Gold was a, a terrific race mare, but she was even better in the breeding barn. What about this? She was the mother of Elvstrom and her rather son, who won seven Group 1s between them. And Brad, one of her daughters, produced Highland Reel, who's won seven Group 1s. Yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, she's definitely after a lasting legacy. And, you know, she wasn't she wasn't the biggest mare either. So, um, you know, she'd done a hell of a job to sort of produce what she did. And, um, you know, she obviously had a fair bit of racing as well. So... Just shows you how tough she was. She was an incredibly tough filly. Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance. By stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race, and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's easy performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. Well, following your second stint with Rod Craig, you suddenly felt like a change of scenery. And you got one when you took a job in Queensland as a foreman at Bill Mitchell's Brisbane Stable. And you replaced another young bloke who was destined for bigger things. Who was that? Yeah, well, I, I actually went up, Liam Birchley and myself went up um, to run the the stable and Peter Moody had just gone out on his own. So, mm. you know, I, I sort of seen all that tri- transition firsthand. Peter, he tied up straight across from us and, um, yeah, look, he, he, from day one he, he, he was very professional and, um, you know, he ran a very good operation and, it was like clockwork and, um, you know, obviously it's, uh, it's carried right through. So, yeah, look, it was um, a great few years up there in Brisbane and, um, you know, it was a, another good learning curve for me. It was terrific. Um, uh, you know, it was, there were still those older guys that were had one or two in work that were sort of legends and mm. on their way out. But, um, you know, the stories you've seen and listening to them talk and things like that, yet again, you know, it was a fantastic learning curve. Mm. Well, eventually you wanted to get back to Sydney and that all fell into place when Graham Rogerson offered you a job at Randwick where he had a very big team in work at the time, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, you know, Rogie, you know, he's – look, he, everyone's got a story about Rogie, but um, look, full, full credit to him. He, he, he's employed a lot of people. He's trained a lot of bloody good winners and, mm. you know, he's put his um, hand up at the yearling sales. You know, he – you know, he's always tried something new as far as getting people into racing. And, um, yeah, look, he, he was a different side, like the business side to how he did things. Um, it was quite, you know, an interesting 
learning curve again. And mm. um, yeah, look, we were lucky enough when I was there. Um, uh, Mark Mark Fraser Camp and actually got me into uh, Rogers, and um, he was the assistant. And and um, look, we had pole success there that year. And you know, this, that yet again, she just done a fantastic job, pole success to get to mm. the slipper, and she yeah. just kept winning. You know, she just kept winning, and um, you know, Danny Beasley, obviously, he's another Easter rider. He's a um, well, he's a Riverina boy, I'd say. You know, he's from down mm. my way, and um, so it was, you know, great to see that happen. There was another one in the Rogerson camp when you were there who was destined for the big stage, and I'm talking about Savabeel, who didn't race much. He won only three from fourteen including the Spring Champion Stakes and the Cox Plate Brad as a three-year-old beating Fields of Omar. I think he only raced two more times after the Cox Plate before going to stud in New Zealand. What sort of a job is he doing as a stallion? Yeah, fantastic. And um, well, I'm lucky enough to have a couple of Savabills in the place at the moment. But, uh, you know, he, he was a, a glamour cult, obviously good pedigree and um, you know, he's done an incredible job. Uh, like he's a he's a life changer, really, isn't he? For a lot of people, he's it's a bit like I'm invincible. Like they just they've changed a lot of people's lives, I'd say. But um, yeah, he's a fantastic stallion. Mm. There were two other yearlings there uh, while you were working for Rogie, and one of them uh, has made a massive mark on the breeding industry. Pretty good racehorse too in his day. Not a single doubt. What do you remember of him? Yeah, he look. He was always very precocious and um, wasn't a big horse. And look, he what you know what he's done at the start is uh, nothing more remarkable. And um, like, look, he was just a lovely horse to work around. And um, you know, obviously, totally different horse to Savabill, but you know, he's one of those horses that stood out as a yearling. And um, you know, he hit the racetrack and, and done a very good job. And done a better job as a stallion. Mm. Well, the next chapter in your career was a very happy four years with Kevin and Jenny Moses. I know you loved every minute of it. Yeah, no, they, um, you know, yeah, I don't know what you, to say. Like they're, um, they're, they're, real, they're family friends now. They race a couple of horses with me and, um, yeah, it was a great time. We had um, We had a lot of success and, um, it's a bit of a blur now, but, you know, it sort of went very quickly that time. But, um, yeah, like it was, um, yeah, very good people. You heard there was a foreman's job coming up at Crown Lodge under Peter Snowden and you quickly applied and the response was far quicker than you expected. Yeah, look, it was one of those things. Um, I wasn't looking to go anywhere. I was very happy where I was and, um, Kevin was, you know, he was promising in a partnership and um, I've spoken to the stewards and the, they, I think they meet once a year, might have changed now. They have a big annual meeting um, straight once a year and they were going to pass it. But I, I sort of, I think it was oh, January or February when I spoke to the stewards and the meeting wasn't until August and, and this job was um, being advertised as assistant to Peter and, you know, I had uh, two young kids on the ground and um, <laughs> <laughs> one coming. So, you know, yeah. it, was, it was just too good of a 
opportunity. Like I, I respected, um, you know, Peter had been in that role for so many years and, um, you know, obviously what him and Hawksy had done, um, you know, it was uh, – I, I, I didn't think I was a chance to get the job, to tell you the truth, and uh, hmm. yeah, it, was, it was a massive surprise actually. You'd been there only four months when the shock news was delivered to the staff. Crown Lodge had been sold to Sheikh Mohammed for that unimaginable amount of money, and obviously everyone in the place thought, what's going to happen to me? But as it turned out, the Sheikh had agreed to Bob Ingham's special request that all existing staff were to be retained. That must have been music to everybody's ears. How did it play out? Did, did they call Peter into the office? Yeah, um, we just, well, Peter just trained five winners on a Saturday, which, you know, it's hard enough getting one, let alone five. And I think four of them were group races, and it might have been Posidas won the. And then one of the last, which might have been, you know, the old open handicaps. And mm. anyway, I think Peter got called up to the office on Monday and, you know, he thought, oh, great, you'll go up and see the boss and everything's good. And he got up, he got up there and Bob sort of, not, I wouldn't say bluntly put it to him, but just said, look, Peter, I've had an offer too good to refuse and, you know, um, what's happening. And, yeah, like Peter come back a little bit forlorn, but it, it, Look, everything was true to word. They promised that everyone would be, um, you know, remain in their positions. And mm. um, yeah, look, it was, uh, yeah, it was business as usual. But look, as you know, there was, as you would imagine, there was a fair bit of um, rumours and that going on. But look, uh, you know, it, it, nothing really changed. We just um, kept as normal, and everything uh, remained the same. Mm. Well, let's fast forward now, Brad. Uh, we mentioned in the introduction that you went to train at Hawkesbury and you got going quickly. Let's look at some of the handy horses you got to train after going to Hawkesbury. Your first winner was a nice horse called Jungleized on the Acton track at Canberra and your brother-in-law uh, at, at the time was Christian Reith who rode that horse, your first winner, and he rode a lot of winners for you thereafter. Yeah, look, um, it was obviously a massive relief to see him, see him go down there and win. Um, you know, you you sort of thinking everything that can happen will, but look here, the horse just went down there and did the job, and um, it was fantastic. So um, yeah, it was a very good starting starting point, put it that way. So um, it definitely took the nerves out a bit. He finished up winning five races in all, Brad, including three in the city. Yeah, he, look, he, he was a fantastic horse and um, we're lucky enough to retire him. Um, Narissa, who's married to Kobe Jennings, she she looks after him now in retirement and, um, you know, look, it's, uh, it was you know, great that the owner sort of, he, he had tie-back surgery and things like that, so he wasn't quite the horse in the end, but, um, you know, he's been retired and he's getting looked after quite well, which is great to see. Well, Jungle Eyes was by Schnitzel, and so was Sandbar, who was very good for the stable. He won four in town, including a couple of stakes races. I think he won a stakes race as a two-year-old and later as a three-year-old. Yeah, he did, and um, he ran in the slipper as well. So, you know, that was a fantastic um, thrill early in my career. Look, obviously, you, you don't like to run them in the races and make up the numbers, but... Um, 
yeah, look, he, he deserved his spot in the race. He earned it and um, he, he ran terrific. Uh, I think the only cult that beat him home in that was written by. So mm. um, it's a real Phillies year that year. But, um, yeah, fantastic horse. Lovely temporary standing down at Kringle Stud now. So hopefully he can kick a goal there because he you know he's a well-bred horse uh he's a half to fun and and mm. um yeah no he's a special horse for me as well adelong was a lovely medaglia doro mare you had winner of eight races six in town she had some issues though didn't she that prevented her going on yeah she had tie back surgery and um you know obviously breathing just restricted her a bit but, Oh, look, she was a she was a great story. Uh, the owner bought her, I think, for ten grand, and she won four hundred something thousand. He sold her for about the same, and mm. um, you know, to do what she did um, was fantastic. But you know, obviously, once you just get up to that upper level, you you can't have chinks in the armor, and um, yeah, look, you know, she sort of got found out once she got up to that level. Mm. You've got away with the schnitzels, Brad. Akari was another useful mare for you by schnitzel. She only won three, but two of them were stakes races, one in Sydney and one in Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, she's had a she's had a I'm Invincible cult. So, um, look, I think she's going to more than repay Neil Werrett. Um, she was a beautiful mare. Uh, big thrill to win at Flemington. Um, yeah, it was a massive day. And um, look, she she didn't train on, which was disappointing because she's such a lovely mare. But um, look, I'm I'm sure she's going to be a fantastic broodmare. She's got a great international or, or Japanese pedigree, and um, yeah, I'm sure she, her foals are going to be well sought. You won a stack of races with horses like Rare Episode, Trenganu. Uh, Deep Fields, Rain, Showtime Lady, they all did a nice little job. And a bit later came Vulpine, also by Schnitzel, a mare you were very fond of. Seven wins, seven placings, 615000 for Brad and Kylie Hunt's BK Racing Operation. She won stakes races at Rose Hill, Randwick and Scone. She could run, Brad, but she had a few little quirks, didn't she? Yeah, well, actually, um, early days, it was very frustrating. She had a ton of ability, but I, for a while there, I didn't think she was going to win a midweek race. And, um, you know, just things were going wrong. And I think one day I put Tommy Sherry on when he was still an apprentice. I said, for God's sake, drive this thing out of the gates and go forward. And he did. And she did. she ran third, but she came out and won in the next start when we, you know, we just learned that she's got to get up on the speed and get running and, um mm. Yeah, you know, once we sort of figured that out, her career really skyrocketed from there. And uh, look, she'd she'd get beat on certain days. We expected to win, and vice versa. But look, she ended up winning those um, valuable black type races. And you know, obviously, um, BK Racing, they're massive supporters of mine. They front up at the yearling sales, and always have half a dozen horses here. So. Um, yeah, it's a big thrill when I can win for them at, 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 any, at any time. One of her best runs was a second to Snap Dancer in one of those Magic Millions mares feature races. Yes, and, and look, yet again, you know, the similarities between these mares that we've sort of spoke about, just their toughness. And 
Um, she wasn't a very big mare, Volpine, but oh, she, you know, she was tough. And and like I say, when she turned up and raced, she she always put in a uh, outstanding performance. And um, you know, the snap dancer, uh, she's obviously got a massive ability. She's obviously carries a few issues too, but um, you know, like uh, that was a you know a fantastic day there. Great prize money, and it's a, it was a great result. Volpine's in the breeding barn this year, this upcoming season. Yeah, she's uh, positive to Zoo Star, which is great. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that I hope I get to train it and, um, you know, hope her legacy carries on, you know. Mm. Like most trainers, you do your best when it comes to getting good jockeys for your horses. I notice you've been using Jean Van Overmeer a lot lately, Brad, a hard-working bloke who doesn't mind travelling, and you tell me he makes a point of getting to Hawkesbury one day a week to jump on a few of your horses. Yeah, he does. Look, uh, it's probably the uh, pitfall being in Hawkesbury. It's hard to get, um, you know, the big boys and girls here because obviously their commitments to the city trainers are... Um, already there so it, it is a little bit frustrating here we don't um get the, the jocks out um but look um you know if people are prepared to sort of come out once a more once a week and um ride a few well i try to support them as much as i can and you know it's just good they sort of learn the, the horses little traits and and they know where they're at and they're a bit confident when they jump on them race day the where they're at so um you know, it is a, it is a uh, I think it's a bonus if you can do it. But um, you know, we obviously I've, I've got very good staff and I'm very confident in what they do. But um, you know, it's just a bit of an edge if the jocks can mm. sit on them and gallop them and things like that before riding them race day. Yep, Hawkesbury trainers have had the benefit of a poly track for about three years now, and it's been an absolute godsend, hasn't it? through this endless wet spell. You're wrapped in it. Yeah, I am. Look, um, obviously I've seen the revolution of these tracks from the Equitracks and and all the other ones, Pro Rides, and, um, but they, I think they've finally got got it um, uh, pretty good now with these artificial tracks. Um, you know, obviously I don't want to be racing on them, but um, I think as far as training a racehorse, uh, they're fantastic and, um, the amount of rain we've had the last sort of, I think the track's been down about three and a half years and we've had mm. two and a half years of um, unusual rain and, you know, it's, it's done a fantastic job. So um, look, I think it's a great product and we're very lucky to have one now. And I, I think, you know, they sort of get rolled out right across um, uh, most of the, I think most of the, all, all the metropolitan provincial tracks have got them now. So, um you know, we have, we've lost our advantage, but, um, you know, it's, it's great to see that everyone's sort of got a, a fair training track that's, um, you know, very reliable. Before purchasing those Hawkesbury stables, you made a few inquiries at other places where the waiting list was a mile long. But in hindsight, Brad, it's probably the best thing that could have happened because you love training at Hawkesbury and your family love living in the Hawkesbury Valley. A hundred percent. Look, I, you know, I wasn't keen. Um, I, like I, we spoke a bit earlier, you know, the staff. I, you know, I, 
I know how hard it is to build up and get your staff and the right people around you. And um, that was the main thing for me. Like I, I didn't want to be moving anywhere and um, lose that core of um, really good people. So, um, you know, as you said, it's it's it's. I love trading here. Um, the family love it here, and um, you know, it's a fantastic part of the world. But um, you know, I, I definitely look. I I don't think I'd be going anywhere. I'd, Maybe one day I'd like to have 20 stables in the, one of the metropolitan tracks, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, at the moment I'm just happy concentrating on doing what we're doing. You and Melissa are the proud parents of three kids who are sorting out their futures currently. Two boys, one girl. Let me have a shot at their ages, Brad. Cooper, 17? 18, yeah. Europe, yeah, 18, Cooper. Yeah, Hunter, 13. 14, yep, he's 14. <laughs> I'm a mild, and Madison must be about 16. That's, you got that, you nailed that one, yep. Any future horse trainers among them? Well, um, uh, at, at the moment, I'd say the youngest one, he, he's, uh, look, he's been one of those kids from day one, you know, they, they pick up certain things, like either one's good with a cricket bat or a soccer ball, whatever, he, from day one, he could walk in and, He'd be able to tell you where Huey Bowman was or James McDonald was in the race and what they're right. on and who's the train. Like he just, yeah, he, I think he's lived with the he's lived with Sky Racing as his um, main channel. Like even now, on a Saturday morning, um, you know when he gets up, he's straight on the Sky Racing. And he's listening to uh, whoever's, whoever's on, you know, going through the day's mm. <laughs> proceedings. So. There wouldn't be too many 13, 14-year-old kids get up and, you know, first thing they're watching is uh, racing. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, the uh, racing's come a long way and uh, there's a lot better future for um, young people in the industry now. And, um, you know, look, I'm I, i, uh, I I'm pretty sure he'll be the one that will, will, will look to get into racing. Well, Brad... You weathered a massive storm, a violent storm, about five years ago. And as I said in the introduction, your recovery from that upheaval has been one of racing's greatest ever stories. You've done a remarkable job, mate, and you've done it on talent and the experience that you've garnered over a period of 24 years with other top trainers before you decided to hang your own sign up. Well done. You've done a great job. You're now reaping the rewards of of all of those years and all of that effort. You've, last season was your best ever, and I hope it's the forerunner of better ones to come. Thanks, Johnny. Lovely to have you on the podcast, produced by Supernova Sound. The Golden Eagle first spread its wings in 2019 when Colding, ridden by Glenn Boss, bounced off his Epsom win four weeks earlier to score brilliantly in the new $7.5 million four-year-old race at Rosehill Gardens. One year later, two classy mares fought out the Golden Eagle finish on a heavy track. Colette gave young jockey Kobe Jennings a career highlight in narrowly winning the big race from Ice Bath. Colette retired recently as Godolphin's highest ever money earner. Last year, the Victorian I'm Thunderstruck produced a big finish to nail the ill-fated Count de Rupee in the last few strides. Hugh Bowman rode the son of shocking for Price and Kent. This year's edition is worth $10 million. 
which means many worthy charities will benefit. 10% of prize money won by each runner will be donated to the charity selected by that horse's owner or owners. The Golden Eagle will be supported by the $3 million Nature Strip Stakes, the $750,000 Rose Hill Gull Cup, and the Four Pillars, the half million dollar race, which gives Kosciuszko ticket purchasers a second chance to share in generous prize money. The Spring Carnival Spotlight will shift to Rose Hill Gardens on Saturday, October the 29th for the fourth running of the new four-year-old race which follows on the heels of the Everest. The Spring Carnival rolls on.